Hey, I want to welcome everybody that's just tuning in online with us, wherever you're tuning in from. We're so glad to have you with us. And this is week 78 of our Unstoppable series that just won't stop. Now, we're gonna, it's going to end soon, so don't freak out if you're like, I'm ready for something else. we got something else coming soon. But I've actually enjoyed it. I just want to say this because I think it's been pretty cool this summer as we... If you're new, we've been kind of just looking at the story of the early church, the first church, and really seeing the connection. In fact, maybe you you never even realized this, but we today who are part of the church, if you're here today, you say, this is my church home, you're part of the church. You need to understand, you're part of the movement that Jesus said he was going to begin 2,000 years ago. And those time and space and, 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 and a bunch of centuries kind of separate us, we are still all part of that same church. And you know what I love about this is, see, this unstoppable thing. It's not about X church. It's about what Jesus said he was going to build that would be unstoppable. And you know what? Thousands of years later, kingdoms have come and gone. Empires have risen and been toppled. Lines have been redrawn in the map of the world. But can I tell you something? The church is still growing and vibrant and very much alive today as it ever has been. All the way here in Canal Winchester, Ohio. You know why that is? It's because Jesus gave every single one of his followers a mission and a mandate. He said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and be my witness everywhere you go in the world. And the reason why the church is still growing is because many of you, like me, as someone who encountered Jesus, who's changed my life, is I can't help but I need to tell somebody. I need to invite somebody into that. And I want to talk a little bit about that mission and that mandate when it comes to our faith. What's that thing that Jesus has called us to do? And I want to look at a story today. We're kind of skipping along, but we're going to be in Acts chapter 17. So if you got a Bible, you want to get your phone, electronic device, we're going to be in Acts 17. Now here's what you need to know about the book of Acts. As it breaks up, it's like the first half of it follows Jesus' disciples as the church started. But then it kind of changes and it pivots and it kind of shifts its focus from the disciples of Jesus to one particular guy who encountered Jesus and it changed his life, and his name is Paul. I preached about him a few weeks ago when Saul encountered uh, Jesus and it changed his life. We know him as Paul, okay, his Greek name. And, And so the story kind of in Acts, from like Acts 15, 16, begins to turn and it follows him. By the way, it was written by a physician named Luke. And the reason why most of the stories follow Paul's life after this point is because Luke traveled with Paul. And so Luke would go and document as he went around the Mediterranean Rim, kind of planting churches and telling people about who Jesus is. And and we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 17. So if you're there, Acts chapter 17, we're going to start in verse 16 with an incredible story today. Now here's what you need to know is that every place that Paul went and shared the gospel, the good news of Jesus, two things happened. Some accepted it, and their lives were changed forever, and others rejected it and actually caused trouble for Paul. And so if you look at the beginning of Acts 17, wherever he is, Thessalonica, Berea, he has people who like, cause trouble because they don't like the message that he has, and it kind of run him out of town. And so Paul kinds of ends up sailing to Athens, Greece, Okay, and he kind of hangs out there waiting for the rest of his group to catch up. That's where we're going to pick up today's story. Acts chapter 17. Are you there? Acts 17, starting in verse 16. It says this, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, 
he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of what? Everybody said out loud of? Of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. Now, I love how the writer Luke gives us a little bit of parenthetical clause to understand about Athens. It says, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest and greatest ideas. Now, here's our setting. Paul kind of travels to Athens, my guess is this is his first time in Athens. I don't know if you've ever been to Athens. I have not. I would love to go someday. If you would like to take me on a little trip, I'd be glad to go with you. Paul goes to Athens and he's exploring. I mean, you get this idea that he's kind of taking in the local uh, the establishments and he's tasting the local cuisine and the coffee shops, the internet cafes. He's kind of just throwing through Athens. And while he's there in this incredible city, he notices something. Now, you need to understand that Athens was the largest and most influential city in the Greek states of that time. It's a massive city. In fact, though the Roman Empire was in control of the whole region, they actually left the people of Athens alone. They had their own democracy. They ran their own city-state there in Athens because Rome was so impressed by their schools by their system of thought and reason and all. This was like a like very modern city. In an ancient city, it was incredibly modern, and they were kind of left alone to do their own thing. In fact, um, Athens, especially at this time, was very well known as a place of philosophy. Now, maybe some of you, if you remember studying this in history and some famous characters, maybe you would know that even a couple hundred years before Jesus, Athens is the birthplace or the home place of where we get people like Plato, Aristotle, and Socrates, his disciple, Epicurus, and all of these brilliant philosophers. If there is a, 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 a um, time or a season of philosophy, an age of philosophy, it was a couple hundred years before Jesus was here. And so imagine as Paul's walking through this incredible city, massive city. It says that he looks around and he is greatly troubled. He's distressed by all the idols. Everywhere he goes, there's these shrines and temples and these images, and, and he sees this idol worship, and it bothers him. It affects him. It bothers him. You know what I, I, I love in this moment? Because what a lot of times happen, I think, for many of us who are following Jesus, that you can go into the culture that you're in, and you might see things that bother you. I see things that bother me. You might be on social media, see things that bother you. The question is, what do you do about it? See, a lot of times, what I think we've sometimes done in the church, go, that's just terrible. Man, the world, our culture, it's just, it's going to hell in a handbasket. It's, it's awful. But, you know, we're just going to go in church and pray for everybody. That's not what Paul did. I don't know if you caught what Paul did. Let, let me show you again. Maybe you'll mark this down. Verse 17, Acts 17, verse 17. Let me read it. 
it says this, so he did what? Everybody say that word out loud with me. So he reasoned. He didn't stand on the street corner with a sandwich board letting them all know they're going to hell. He didn't go out there with a bullhorn and preach at them. He reasoned where? In the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happen to be there. I love this because a lot of times what the church has been known for, unfortunately, is being full of really judgmental, preachy people. That's what the world has often been known for. That, that is kind of like a, the, the church, oh yeah, I don't go to church. Oh, the church people, they're the worst. They're the hypocrites that are always pointing their fingers at me and always saying, oh, you sinner and you're, you're awful and you're this. And, and here's what I love, not Paul. Paul instead, it doesn't say he preaches at them, but he reasoned with them. In fact, the word where we see reasoned in the Greek, the original that has been translated is where we get the word dialogue. That Paul would dialogue, Paul would engage in conversation. Paul would, I want to have a conversation with you. I don't want to preach at you. Can I just tell you something? If you're a part of the church, when it comes to the mission and the mandate and what it means to kind of represent your faith in the larger world, can I just tell you this? That maybe what the world needs is more people who will dialogue with them and stop preaching at them. Oh, you're messed up. Oh, you got idols in your life. That's the problem. You, you wicked people. I, I love, this is not Paul. Here, here's what Paul does. He steps into their arena. He steps into the church, the synagogue, where the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, they believed in God, they were religious, but they didn't know Jesus. And so what did Paul do? This is interesting. Paul uses what they know. They know the Old Testament. That's their scriptures. And so it says that Paul would use what they know and begin to have a conversation and say, can I show you about Jesus in what you know? Then when he's in the marketplace, guess what he does? He begins to have conversations and gets into dialogue with philosophers. Here's what you think, know, and believe. Can I show you who Jesus is? You know what he doesn't do? He doesn't go into the marketplace and take the Bible with him and start thumping people over the head. Don't you know that God doesn't like this? We in the church need to have a little bit more wisdom when it comes to the world around us. And what we need to understand is that God has called us to both, but it doesn't look the same in both places. I love how, how Paul is in the marketplace and he begins to dialogue. And Luke would tell us that the Epicurean and the Stoic philosophers, they, they begin to debate with him. And, and I, I just picture this moment where their philosophies and where they come from and then what Paul is saying is kind of like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And, and if maybe you've never heard of the Epicurean or Stoic philosophers of this day, they, let, me, let me relate it to what we can understand today. Epicurus was a philosopher a couple hundred years before Jesus and he, he basically had this worldview. Here's what he believed. He believed that this life is all we have. That life is what you have in the body the moment you die, your consciousness ceases to exist. In other words, there's nothing else beyond this life. That's what Epicurus believed. And because of that, 
His, his worldview was that in order to find meaning in this life, here's what we should do. We should pursue things that bring us pleasure and we should avoid things that cause us pain. Maybe you've heard of this hedonistic philosophy. This comes from Epicurus. And the Epicurean uh, philosophers, they embraced this framework and that's how, they, that's how they viewed life. Now the Stoics were a bit different and kind of similar. The Stoics, they, they believe that all we have is in the moment. This, they don't really believe in the afterlife. They just believe the moment. But rather than being controlled by your desires for pleasure, they believe the only way we find meaning and value is through virtue. Do things that are virtuous. Okay, and so imagine these two, peop- these two groups of philosophers, they're beginning to debate with him. Be- why? Because he's saying, no, 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 there's more to this world than just that. There's more beyond this, and his name is Jesus, and I met him, and it changed my life. Can I just tell you what I I love? I was reading this. I love that Paul was bold enough to step into their world, their arena, and say, let's have a conversation about this. Let's die. Can I just tell you, if Paul was willing to do that in the first century outside the church, can I ask you this? How much more should we be willing to do that in the 21st century? Do you, you understand, like, Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, can I tell you what they would be today? They'd be modern atheists. Agnostics. People say, I'm, I'm not sure there is a God. I don't know that there is one. And so what does he do? He engages in reason and thought. I love that. I just, I just love that. In fact, I love it so much that this fall, let me just give you a, a little uh, preview. This fall, I'm actually going to do a series that I've been preparing to do for a year and a half. It's taken me that long to prepare for this series. I'm scared to death of doing this series. For a year and a half, I felt like God put it on my heart to do it, and it really just almost comes from the heart of what Paul does here. I, I want to have a five-week series where we can talk about the harder questions about life, about God, about the origin of things. I want, I want to have a really, really hard conversation. Can we do that? Listen, I'm going to tell you right now, it is, if you are someone who's a part of this church and you say, I'm not sure I believe in God and I don't understand how faith and science can, I don't know that. Listen, you're going to love this series. If you know someone who's an atheist, who's a friend of yours, and not someone who's like, I'm just not sure, it will be the perfect environment to bring. I'm not going to come and to, to beat over the head. None of that. None of that. We're going to actually together just dive into these really, really hard questions. How do I know God is real? How do I know God exists? How do we get here? We're, we're going to dive into these things. Why? Because I believe that we're called to engage with our culture. Jesus said, I want to give you a mission, a mandate. Go into the world. Be a witness for me. And if there's anything we can get from this and that I love, it's Paul's philosophy when it comes to how he's going to represent his faith in the world. I love Paul's philosophy. And in fact, you get it written down in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. You don't have to turn there, but just listen to me. I want to read this. Paul, Paul, to the church at Corinth, he said, let me show you how I operate, how I see what Jesus has called me to do. He said in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19 and on, he said, even though I'm free of the demands and expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people. Who does he want to reach? He says, I want to reach the religious and the non-religious. I want to reach the meticulous moralist and the loose living immoralist. I'm still talking about people in our church right now. 
I want to reach the defeated. I want to reach the demoralized. Whoever, it does not matter. And he said, by the way, I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ. But I entered their world. And I tried to experience things from their point of view. I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. And I did all of this. Notice what he says. Because of the message, that's the message of Jesus. He said, I didn't want to just talk about it. I want to be in on it. I, I love that. That's the mentality that if you're a Jesus follower, it should be, I, I'm going to enter into their world, someone else's world, someone that doesn't know Jesus. I'm going to them. I'm going to step into your world. And you know what? I'm going to find common ground with you. I'm going to connect with you. And we're going to dialogue. And I just want the opportunity to serve you and to love you and to show you what Jesus has done in my life. I don't want to just talk about a message. I want to be in on the message. I don't want to just go to church. I want to be the church no matter where I go. And so because Paul does this and doesn't just hide inside the church, he actually gets invited to a very special meeting. He gets invited to a meeting at the Areopagus. Now, if you don't know what the Areopagus is, let me explain it to you. In fact, I brought a picture. Maybe go ahead and throw it up. Um, this is the Areopagus if you're in Athens. This big, huge, rocky hill. In fact, if in some translations you'll see it's because it's Roman influence. They call it Mars Hill. Okay, now I, I, I never really understood the significance of this invite. As Paul gets invited to Areopagus, you gotta understand this is a place where the Athenians would hold city council. This is a place where they would discuss, because they always love this in Athens, the latest and the greatest philosophical ideas, religious ideas, but there's more than that. They also, they actually settled all their democratic issues. Now they're a democracy. In a democracy, the people vote on everything. We are a democratic republic. We vote on people who then vote on our behalf. But in a democracy, they would vote. So guess what? Whenever they had this meeting, and they would have it at least once a month, they would have to have a certain number of people. It's called a quorum of people at this in order to pass and vote on things. Pass legislator to vote. They, this originally started where people committed crimes, and they'd come and they could kind of hear, and they would vote. Guess how many people they had to have a minimum quorum in order to have this meeting? 6,000 people. Here's what's cool. Paul's in the marketplace just getting into conversations with people. And because of it, he gets invited to a city council meeting where there's going to be more than 6,000 people and his name gets put on the agenda. And so Paul, is, he goes to this meeting and he's invited, it's your turn, to get up and talk. I wonder what he said. Well, let's not wonder, let's look. Verse 22. Paul stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and he said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with an inscription. Here was the inscription. To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. I mean, that's kind of... That's, don't worry, you're welcome out. Okay, Paul, you just got there. I don't think he was trying to be offensive. He's just saying, you, you even, you say we worship and you got an altar. You don't even know what you worship. 
He said, this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. And I love how Paul, when he addresses him, he says, I see that you guys are all real religious. Now remember, he's in having debates with philosophers who don't believe there's anything beyond this life. He says, I see that you're really spiritual deep down inside. Can I just tell you, maybe even if you're here, you're watching this, and, and maybe, you're, maybe you're someone who goes, I don't believe in God. I'm not sure I believe in the supernatural. That's fine. Can I just tell you, I believe deep down inside, you're still more spiritual than you realize. Most of us are far more religious or spiritual than we actually know. Even if you don't have a philosophy about it, even if you don't have a theology can, can I show you why? It's because we say things all the time that cause that we're appealing to something that is otherworldly. In other words, if you ever said these words, maybe some of you have, that's not fair. You ever said that? That's not fair. Why did he get that and I didn't? Why did she get promoted? I did. That's not fair. Do you realize every time you say that, you're appealing to something that does not exist here on earth? Can I ask you, when has life here ever been fair? It's not, it's never been fair. Whenever we appeal to something that does not exist here on earth, can I tell you what you're doing? You're actually appealing to something beyond this world. So whenever you hear people say, well, I just, I just wish that we could just all have peace and get along. I wish we could have peace in the earth. Where's that idea come from? Can I ask you a question? In the history of mankind, has there ever been peace on earth? No, there hasn't. Why, what are we appealing to? Whenever you appeal to something that is more like, that's not right, that's not good. That's not, every time you do that, can I tell you what you're doing? You're actually appealing, you're, you're being religious. You're appealing to something that is beyond this world. Anytime you appeal to karma, oh, karma gonna get you. Mm-hmm, that's just karma coming back around. What in the world are you appealing to? You don't even realize. That's why Paul says, there's, people don't even realize this. We're all spiritual. We appeal to things that don't exist in our world today. Have you ever appealed to or believed that there's extraterrestrial life? There's nothing wrong with that. That's fine. Can I tell you, have you ever seen extraterrestrial life? So what are you appealing to? What I'm trying to say is, is okay, I, I'm... I don't know if I'm making sense here. Anytime we desire something that cannot be found in this life, we are actually appealing to something that is beyond this life. Anytime, we, that's why he goes to their city and he says, oh, I found this altar with an inscription to an unknown God. You believe there's something more. You just don't know what or who he is. Let me show you. That's what he says. Let me show you. And he goes on. In fact, I want to read for you his entire speech. Again, he's on the agenda at city council, and some would say this is not a sermon because he's not in church. You be the judge. Acts 17, verse 24 through 31, it says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. 
For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Now he's quoting their own poets. Now he says, therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Who's he talking about? Jesus. He never once said his name. He never once quoted a verse in the Bible. He steps into this world. And... He begins to point out that the God and the gods that they worship, that they don't understand that there's one true God. In fact, this is kind of fascinating to me. You may, you may not care about this, but he's standing on this big hill, Areopagus. And, and this is so bold. And he says, the God who made everything, you and me and everything we have, does not live in temples made by human hands. Now, as he is saying this, what is right, just a stone's throw away, away is the Acropolis. I don't know if you ever heard of the Acropolis. In fact, I brought another picture I wanna show you. This is called the Acropolis, and this picture is taken from the top of the Areopagus, okay? The Acropolis. Now, here's what the Acropolis was. Now, imagine this is right in view as Paul is up there saying, the one true God does not live in temples. The top of the Acropolis was covered in temples to the different gods that they worshiped and shrines and the shrine prostitutes and all these images. And so as Paul is, I mean, talk about bold. Paul's like, hey, the real God does not live in anything you all made. The real God, if you want to know who God is, he's the one who made everything and he made you and he made me and you cannot take the essence of the God who made everything and wrap him into some image, some idol made of stone or gold and he does not need to live in some house that you have created for him. God does not need anything you can give him. Did you know God doesn't need you? I don't mean to offend you, but you know God doesn't need you? Well, he needs my worship. No, he doesn't. God doesn't need you, and he doesn't need your worship. He wants it. He desires it. But God is self-sufficient. And, and Paul says, God doesn't need us to build him something and make an image. We need him. We live and move and have our being because he puts breath in our lungs because he decides that we should exist. We are a result of what God has given. We need to understand that. And so in this moment, he says, I know all your philosophies and all your gods and you've got all these temples and you've done all this hard work and you've done all this, but I'm just telling you, you're missing it. So the question would be, okay, well, if God doesn't need us, then why do he make us? That's a great question. If God doesn't need us, then why do all this? Well, Paul said something about that. You might have missed it, verse 27. I think it may be the most important verse in his entire speech. You should underline it. Verse 27, let me read it again. God did this 
God made all this. He established everything, your life, my life. He did this so that they would do what? Everybody say it out loud. So they would, so they would seek him and perhaps r- reach out for him and do what? And, and find him, though he is not far from any of us. God's, here's what Paul says is that God's desire in creating all of this is so that we may one day perhaps reach out and say, God, I want to find you. What is he he speaking to? He's speaking to something they all knew immediately, though no one wants to admit it. And that is from the very beginning of time that man's greatest quest has been constant searching for what's missing. The truth is we're we're all searching. I, I would go so far as to say that we all have what I call a searching soul that I don't care how much money you have, I don't care what kind of status you have, we all have a searching soul. I, I, I have a searching soul. As I go through life that there are, there are things in me that are constantly searching. See, God created us, but there's a void in us that is longing to know the one who created us. And so when Paul is speaking to them about this, this, he's near us and we're searching for him. He's alluding to to something that we all know. What what, what am I saying when we're searching? Like, I know this, we are searching for some kind of meaning in this life. I know I am. We're searching for purpose. Why am I here? Am I just taking up some space on this earth or is there something greater to my life? We ask these questions. We don't ask them a lot of times out loud, but we think about them. Do I have value? Do I matter? Will my life matter? I'm searching for peace. Some of you came here today so restless. I just want, I just want, to, I want to feel joy again. Some of you depressed so dark one, I just, I want to find some kind of like satisfaction. I just want to find happiness. I just want, why do you think we go from, from thing to thing and by house and bigger house and nicer car and from relationship to relationship is because we have a searching soul. This is why Paul, when he looks around at the city full of idols, it breaks his heart and he's distressed. Now listen to this, because every time we hear about idols in the church, I need you to hear this. Paul did not look around and think, oh, you evil people. Do you know what he saw? He said, oh, they're searching. They're searching. See, that's hard for me because I I grew up in church. I don't know if you grew up in church, but it... When I grew up in church, the most convicting messages that I ever heard were always about idols, idolatry. And, um, you know, you hear these messages in church about idolatry and how, how important it was, to, how significant this is to God. And obviously it was very significant to God. And, and we'd hear about how in the Old Testament it was such a big deal that God gave the Ten Commandments. And the first of the Ten Commandments, right, you shall have no other God before me. You shall not make any kind of image and bow down and worship it. I'm a jealous God. I mean, and if you mess up, you break the Ten Commandments. Oh, God's going to be so angry at you. 
We read about how God turned away from the nation of Israel because they worshiped other gods, idolatry. And then when Jesus showed up in the New Testament, he said the same thing, only nicer. He said, what matters to God? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's what matters to the heart of God. And so I remember sitting in church and I'd hear a message about idols. And in and, and, and one side I could go, oh, well, I don't have any of those little gold statues in my house and I don't go bow down before them, so I guess I'm doing pretty good. But then every single time we do that, you know, the preacher would always say something, yeah, but do you love your, do you think about your girlfriend more than you think about Jesus? Yeah, I guess I do. Idol, your girlfriend's an idol, evil, wicked girl that she is, and you're an idol. You know what I'm talking about? In the church, we have modern idols. Okay, I don't have any statues, but then I always hear about money. Do you want money? Yeah. Do you, do you love money? I don't know. I just really want it. Sounds like an idol to me. I feel guilty. I'm sorry, God. I don't want money ever again. Never. Sorry, God. You're trying to get ahead in your career. You got ambition. You want to get to the top. You just want people to see you. All this. I don't, I don't know. I'm sorry. I just I work hard and I want to get promoted. It sounds like an idol of pride in your life, your career. And so every time I hear a message about idols, I got to be honest, every time I, it would just be this weight. This conviction is like, oh, you wicked, messed up person. Can I just tell you that's not how Paul saw it? See, the problem is, and, is that when we hear about idols, we don't actually go deep enough. We don't actually scratch underneath the surface because I think what is at the heart of it is not that God's going to be angry at you because you uh, spend too much time with your girlfriend or God's going to hate you because you really want more money. No, the problem is, is that when I take that thing or that person and I try to get from them what God designed me to get from him instead of trying to get from her affirmation and try to get from money, safety, and security, and where I stop trusting in God. And the problem is, is that we don't go deep enough to the source. We think God's gonna be angry at us. You wicked idolaters. I mean, Paul talked about New Testament idolaters. Can, can, I, can I just maybe see if I could reframe that for us? You see, when it comes to idols, here's what I would, this is my, my personal belief. Idols do not come from a sinful desire. They come from, or they are a sinful response to a divine desire. Idolatry does not come from a sinful desire. It's a sinful response to a divine desire. What am I saying? You have a searching soul. I have a searching soul. And the only thing that satisfies the searching soul is the one who created it. And I don't think that it's that God gets so angry and mad because you would have an idol. I think it breaks his heart because he wanted you to find fulfillment in him. And whenever we don't search for him, but we look for it in something else, God says, you're missing it. 
You, you have spent your life worshiping an unknown God. I'm not mad at you. I'm just so heartbroken that you don't even realize I am the source. I am the source of your joy and I am the source of your peace and I am the source of your life and I am the source of your security and I am the source of all the things that your soul is craving for. But when we go look for it and other things, we fall short of what God wants us to experience in this life. That's what it is. And so my, my question to, to you today and this question that God was drilling to me, what are you searching for? What's the, what's the thing in your soul that is unsettled? What's the thing you find yourself striving for? What's the thing where you, if I only could have this, if I could only experience this, if we just had, what is that thing you're searching for? I think sometimes it's too easy for preachers to say is, well, is it your girlfriend because you think about her too much? Is it your job because it, it's deeper than that? I had to say, God, what, what's my greatest thing that I don't trust you for? You know, for me, maybe it looks different for all of us. It's my control. I like to be in control. I want to control the outcomes. I wanna control the future. I wanna have a plan and I wanna see it work. And, and I wondered if maybe God would be speaking to you about something, cause he's speaking to me and he was like, Tim, when are you gonna trust me and stop holding on to control so tightly? That's an idol. And at the end of the day, it's not because God was mad, it's because he's saying, I'll, I've got better for you. You're searching, I get it, I get it. Sometimes it's our doubts. God keeps showing up in your life over and over again, but you keep holding on to some old doubts. What is it? Your intellect? I don't know, but I know this. We all have a searching soul. And when we do not know what it is, let, let me say it this way. When we go through life and we don't know, we don't know the true God that gives life and breath to everything that we have. When we don't know that God, we will make an idol out of life. When we don't know the God of life, we'll make an idol out of everything in life because we're constantly searching. Can I just tell you what God's greatest desire is? His desire is that maybe even today is that you would turn to him. He's there. I love how Paul said, he's not far. He's right here. Some of you maybe feel so far away from God. Maybe there, there's been no other time that you, in your life where you've reached out for him. Paul's saying he's right here. In fact, I love the promise that God gave to the nation of Israel in Jeremiah 29, 13. And I believe it's a promise for us today. He said, if you look for me wholeheartedly, he said, you will find me. God is not playing some cosmic game of hide and go seek. Oh, I'm gonna make this really hard. We'll see if she can find me. That's not God's heart. 
God continues. And I know in my life, even up to the moment where I embraced Jesus, there was moment after moment when I look back that God said, see, I'm trying to show you I'm right here. I'm just waiting for you to reach out for me. And when you do, you will find me. I'm not trying to keep hidden from you. And my, my prayer, my prayer for us as a church is that we would have the eyes to see not just our own challenge, our own searching, but do you see the people around you are searching? Are we so quick to condemn the culture around us that we don't realize they're not evil? They're just searching. Oh, their lifestyle, I know. The problem is they're searching and they just don't know how to find God. Oh, they, they, they do those things and that's, they're pretty, they're evil. And they're, can we stop with that? I wish we could have the heart of Paul who just said, when he landed in Athens and he sees all the idols, it says he was troubled in verse 16. He was distressed, not because he felt like God had competition, but he's distressed because what he sees is everybody's searching, but they can't find him. So he says, I'll go and I'll step into your arena and I want to show you the God you really want because I know who he is. And I just wonder if the world is, is in desperate need for the church to not say to be the church is to go to church on Sunday mornings, but it's to take the message and the hope of Jesus into the marketplace, into every single arena. Maybe the most significant thing you do this week will not be this hour, but it'll be what happens when you go to work, what happens when you go to the gym, what happens when you go back to school. Maybe the most significant thing that God wants to do in your life will happen outside of the walls of this church. I really felt like God was just leading me to lead our church in this upcoming season, this fall season. To get back to the heart of the mandate of the unstoppable church that we're called to be. And we've never left it, but I just feel like over the last year and a half, it's been such a hard year for our culture, for our community. I know even for those of us here. But if there's one thing I see when I look at the mission, the mandate that Jesus gives to the church, it's not about me. I exist to help others get on the path to God. That's why we exist as a church. We're helping people get on the path to God. And that means that we need to see them and engage. And so here's what we're going to do. A lot of this was kind of last minute, but I just felt like God said, this is, this is the direction I want us to go. Two things I want you to know I'm closing. On August 29th, we're going to kick off a very special series, one that many people in this church love called At The Movies. How many of you love at the movies? Have you been here for it? It's starting August 29th. I need you to get that date in your head, August 29th. Now, if you don't like at the movies, because I don't, I don't go to church, I, just, I don't want to see clips of video of, of movies. I just, there, there's some that have told me, I, don't, I just like it better when you preach. Okay, that's fine. But here's what I know. When I look at Paul, who decides to step into the marketplace and have a dialogue you know what he's doing? He's trying to find common ground. Guess what we do when we show parts of movies and we try to pull out some scriptural truth and connection? You know what we're doing? We're finding common ground with people and stuff they love. 
And so August 29th, we're gonna have this massive community block party here at the church. We're gonna kick it off big. We're inviting our entire larger community, but we're giving you guys invites. And here's what I, at your seats, there's invites. If you're in the risers, they're right down in between your seats. Reach down and grab them. This is not me inviting you. This is me encouraging you. Be praying now and bring somebody with you. This series is an incredible tool to be able to connect with people who don't normally like church. And we believe that God's gonna use it. Now, why do we believe that? It's because of what's gonna lead up to it. And this is where I, I wanna challenge you a little bit further. Starting next Sunday, August 8th through August 29th, we're gonna hold 21 days of prayer and fasting in our church. Now, I know you all got excited about at the movies. Then I'm like, we're going to fast ice cream, and it was crickets. Let me tell you why I felt like we were supposed to do this. I just felt like God, a week and a half ago, put this on my heart. You know, we start at the beginning of the year, and we did 21 days of prayer and fasting. And it's hard. I get it. But I, that's a time when we're saying, God, we want direction from you. God, I want to hear from you and from my life personally. I just felt like, man, there's no time more important than right now in our community and what's going on for the last year and a half. That I feel like that we need to have a heart of expectation and praying and asking God to help us to reach the larger community. So our prayer focus at the beginning of the year is often for, our, for us to hear from God and receive from him, not this one. Starting next Sunday, and we're just going to have different ways through social media and other things to encourage you to join us last minute. I just felt like God put on my heart, so we're going to do it. Okay, the focus of this prayer and fasting season is going to be pray for the larger community. We're going to pray for the people that we're going to see when we go back to school in a couple weeks, students. We're going to pray for the people in our workplaces, the people in our neighborhoods that we know and we wave to and we say hi to all the time. We're going to pray for friends. We're going to pray for people we see at the gym every day. We're going to pray and we're going to set our attention, our heart, and our focus for the next 21 days to say, God, would you do something in our community around here? And so I want to invite you, and, and there'll be more. We're going to send information out this week because it was last minute. But I want you to get prepared and say, I, I, want, to, I want to have that burden like Paul because I felt challenged. I felt, I felt convicted that a lot of times I'm going through my life and I don't even notice the people around me who are desperate and they're searching. I felt like this is a season to realign ourselves to the mission of our church. We're going to help people get on the path to God this fall season. Are you okay with that? Are you good with that? Come on, why don't you stand to your feet and join me in prayer. If you bow your heads, just close your eyes. I, I really believe that there were two things God put on my heart for today. And First, I I want to pray that we as his church would have the mission, the mandate, the, the passion and the burden for our larger community and our culture would be rekindled. God, sometimes I get so wrapped up in my own life, my own world. I'll be honest. God, I, I don't even notice all the idols and all the people around me. 
God, I'm asking you today, forgive me for that. God, as a church, we say forgive us for that. God, I pray right now that even over these next few weeks, God, as we commit ourselves to to praying for lost loved ones, people who are searching and all these different things, but God have not found you. Lord, I pray that you would just rekindle a fire inside of us, God, as your church. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to see people, give us eyes to see people, and not to see people as problems, but to see that there are people who are hungry and they're searching, and they have a searching soul, and they don't know how to find you. But I pray, God, that we would be such a representative of you in every arena, every circle we go into. God, we pray right now that you would just take and you would use us as a church to see hundreds of people this fall season come to know you you, Jesus. God, I pray that you would just use us as your church. Thanks so much for tuning into this message. I hope that it encouraged you and inspired your faith. If God is doing something in your life, would you take a moment and let us know? We want to connect with you and we want to be able to pray for you. All you have to do is shoot us an email to hello at the x.church, or you can always send us a DM on one of our social media platforms. And if you know somebody that would also be encouraged by this very message, why not take a moment and just share it with them right now? And as always, I want to say thank you to every single person who so generously financially supports this ministry so we can continue to get messages like these out to people all over the world. We believe God is building something special and you're a significant part of it. Until next time, have a great day.